1: Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to Your Claim Lawyers, a no-win, no-fee, personal injury claims law firm that specialises in maximising compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au Corp is coming in gold and a world record!
0: Ian Corp, the birth of a legend!
1: 458
2: is the total, out of which Bradman has made 309 not out it's a world's record. in Test Cricket in England for Shane Morton. And he's done it. He started off with the most beautiful delivery.
0: Australia have done it! Australia is back on the biggest stage. Welcome to This Is Your Sporting Life. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Here's your host, Sam Edmund
1: to another very special edition of this is your sporting life thanks to our great friends at Tobin Brothers Funerals celebrating lives Sam Edmund here to celebrate the life of a Carlton great who proved just as smooth behind the microphone as he did through the midfield for the Navy Blues Ian Robertson played 129 VFL games all but four of them in a Carlton side he helped to three premierships Robbo welcome to SEN uh good on you Sam
2: uh, yeah it's a pleasure uh... Look, it's appropriate that uh, this is sponsored by a funeral director. You get an old 74-year-old, there's no message there, is there? (laughs)
1: Hey, the mind is still young. I can tell you're still sharp. Hey, listen, (laughs) with the boots on, I was doing some research, of course. Now, you're described, Robbo, as an elegant, pacey, Versatile player who was a brilliant exponent of the running drop kick. Gee, gippy, happy with that bio? Who wrote that?
2: Someone a long time ago when uh, when when, they, when we were able to kick the drop kick. I oh, know Billy Barrett. I mean, look, there would have been a terrific number. Southie could kick the drop kick. Uh, you know, he had the the centre the centre square from behind to uh, really put it on display. That uh, he could thump the ball a distance. Uh, there were quite, a, as I said, Sid was all right too. But. Uh, Oh, no. I, I, look, the one thing that uh, that you have to be have uh, the ability to do, you know, when you're playing Aussie, when you're playing any sort of football, I guess, is to be able to run.
1: Yeah, well, it's certainly the case now in the modern game, isn't it? Speaking of current day, where do we find you at the moment, Robbo, and how are you coping in this uh, crazy time as uh, the world tries to navigate COVID-19? Uh,
2: doing okay, Sam. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of people, I mean, uh, you know, as you get older, you become just... I I think if you've got a a bit of blood going through your system, you're affected by uh, lots of things that have happened over the last uh, little bit. Uh, You know the the poor, those poor people that were killed in that car accident the other day, and uh, uh, the people in the bushfires. I mean, we're going okay. We're 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 doing all right, and uh, with a bit of luck, uh, you know, things will start to turn and uh, and we'll be able to um, mix and get going again. Pretty quickly, I, I would have thought. And the kids in the country, I mean, you do miss out on a lot of things, but by golly, you, you're able to do, still do a lot of things because there's plenty of room and, you know, to a certain degree, it's um, not quite as dramatic expense-wise to, you know, get kids around and what have you and um, and they can play a lot of sports. Well, we could do it all in one and it costs nothing. I, I used to bicycle from one side of the town to the other, you know, to have a scratch match of cricket or a hit of the tennis racket or, you know, Dad even taught us a little bit of golf.
1: Robbo, as you, you got better at the craft and you your name came up in lights at various VFL clubs as a potential recruit, there's some conjecture in the time. Did you refuse a request to train from the Bulldogs, given you were in their zone, or did they ignore a letter from your father? As I say, you're in their zone. Can you set the record straight on this?
2: I think Dad was pretty keen and he wrote and he didn't get an answer. And uh, he wrote, I think uh, uh, Carlton had finished the lowest they'd ever finished in the year before Baras took over. And that was up until recent times, of course, but uh, the 10th was the lowest they'd, they'd ever finished, I think. And um, anyway, they were uh, probably struggling a little bit uh, from the point of view of, uh, just kicking a score, and um, I kicked ten goals in half a game one day down at uh, Daleston and you know the, the I think the lights lit up then, and uh, a Melbourne guy came down and watched, and uh, he was a mate of Barassi's from Melbourne, and they used to joke, you know, at, uh, after match functions they used to joke about how this Melbourne bloke went down and said, no, won't ever, won't ever get to get a go in Melbourne, and uh, anyway, uh, you know, history will show you that. Uh, I got a chance, and uh, I played on Gouldy. Gouldy was um, state centre half back the previous year, and I played on Gouldy in a practice match. And I got a couple of kicks, and uh, they decided to have a go. And, and uh, you know, history shows you I played uh, the first game against Richmond, which was, uh, you know, that was the emergence of Richmond as a, as, a, as a bit of a power. You know, Tommy Havey was coaching, and he'd been he was in Shepparton about. Oh, 12 months or two years before that as a, as a, as a fledgling coach. And Barash, was, uh, he was still playing. He was playing coach of Carlton, but Richmond and Carlton then met quite a few times over the, few, over the next few years, uh, in particularly in finals.
1: So just going back a sec, Robert, who did you barrack for as a kid growing up? great. You wanted to play for the Dogs, obviously.
2: Oh, I would have. If I'd got the chance, I would have gone there. Yeah, but I was, I was I was I was outside the town hall when when they won in uh, 1954. I was eight, and I just you know I cried when Fitzroy beat when Fitzroy, who were the fellow cellar dwellers, uh, you know through through that period, I used to cry. You know Fitzroy knocked us off. We'd be, you'd be teased at school, and uh, oh, you let Fitzroy beat you. Well, you, you can't be going too good. And uh, oh no, we stuck through thick and thin, and. You know, I still have a soft spot for the Bulldogs. You know, the, 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 the blokes that played there, you, you you remember. Like, I wasn't there long enough at playing. I was only there for six months, basically. But uh, oh, you remember all the superstars from years gone by. Um, and, um, yeah, it was a good time. I mean, uh, they didn't have the success then. And, and wasn't it fantastic a couple of years ago when they won? I mean, that's, yeah. that was great for people who, who, who followed football for something like 60 years.
1: Robbo, you, you debuted for the Blues in '66, but the Bulldogs were persistent, weren't they? Because in '67 they came knocking again and said that, despite you playing at, at Carlton, they asked for their rights to you as a player. I mean, what do you remember of of that time?
2: Oh, well, look, it, it's all pretty. Uh, it's all pretty there, pretty much there. I uh, I was living with my auntie in Seddon, and um, we were playing cricket in the street. And uh, Donald Brown, who eventually played for Footscray, was amongst the group of Young, we were seventeen and eighteen, and and I was up the bush at nineteen. But seventeen and eighteen, we were knocking around the streets, playing cricket and footy. And Donald Brown was one of one of the people that played. And his mother was related to Jack Collins. And she, uh, she when I went to uh, like when you when you lived in an area in a suburban area, I think for a short period of time you were tied for, uh, I think we were tied for a, a, about twelve months. It might have been a bit longer. So having lived there for. For 17 and 18, I was tied to Footscray. I went up the bush when I was 19 to work and and played football up the bush for Daleston. But then when I came back at 20, I went living in Seddon again. And uh, then he realised, oh, that's that bloke we used to play cricket with in the street when he was 17 and 18. And I I was still residentially tied. Because of that, I was still residentially tied to Footscray but I'd been uh, given the chance to have a kick at Carlton. And as it turned out, Ken Greenwood, you know, his name would be uh, remembered by a lot of footy people, particularly Carlton people. He was a really good, solid player. And uh, he wasn't doing any good at Carlton. So he said, well, you know, I wouldn't mind moving on. So Footscray grabbed hold of Ken Greenwood. He did a good job with them too. Played some pretty good football with Footscray. And Footscray released their hold on me. So... I mean, in 1967, I was on my way to Bendigo. Bendigo was a Carlton Carlton area, and I was on my way to play football up there. It was it was that serious that uh, you know until Kenny until Kenny Greenwood came along, I was going to have to live outside the the area uh, for I think another 12 months. So I was on my way to play for somebody in Bendigo at that stage.
1: And the incredible irony of it was that years later, of course, and I think in the middle of 74, there was the ability to change clubs mid-season back then. You moved to Footscray to finish your career.
2: Oh, that was, a you know, on reflection, it was a bad move. Um, I was uh, pretty good buddies with Gordon Casey. He was the uh, uh, state back pocket player. He was Footscray, one of Footscray's really good players. He was, he was at Carlton when, uh, well, I, I, I started in 66. I think Case was there in 68. And he was at Footscray, and we were knocking around a bit. And he said, "Do you want me to speak to the powers that be?" And it was, I think Dickie Collins and Jack Collins were involved. And uh, I had just happened to go to a social function that uh, Gordon Casey had uh, set me up to go to. It was a Footscray function, and they had a bit of a chat that night. And uh, I w- look, the, the lead up to it was not was not great. I had a I, I got put out of the caper in, in the first game of '73, and uh, when I was, I thought I was probably, I was 27 and uh, just, just starting to get, get on top of things and I'd done, I'd, I'd, i hurt my ankle badly and missed the whole of 73 and um, there was a, a lot of discussion in that six months of 74. Me, Crane, uh, Quirk, uh, whoever, you know, and, and, and I played a couple of games and then I got dropped and uh, I, I wasn't happy with that and uh, that led to a, just a fraction, a bit of stupid young bullheadedness, and uh, and, and I finished up a foot and Six months later, I was out of the business. So uh, it wasn't a good time, it wasn't a smart time. I mean, you had your time over again. Uh, you, know, you know, I've often thought that you know I should have stayed at Carlton, and I was offered uh, plenty of opportunities to hang around. Uh, you know, the, there was no doubt that. Uh, they didn't show me the door I, found, I i i went out the door i walked out the door which was stupid you know you are just a little bit uh what you you the are big journal you're pig headed aren't you you're a bit sort of um uh one single minded you know, and and i was as i say about twenty or twenty seven born in forty six At so twenty seven
1: might have had the blinkers on. We might come back to that a little bit later, Robbo. That's a, a fascinating juncture in your career, your your life, as it were. Uh, speaking yeah, of life, yeah. you're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life. It's all thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. We've just lifted the lid on the amazing career of Ian Robertson and plenty more still to come.
0: You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives.
1: Welcome back. We're chatting with Carlton, great former commentator, Ian Robertson for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Robbo, you play with and under Captain Coach Ron Barassi at Carlton. I think Ron signed you on your first meeting, didn't he? So how did you two hit it off so quickly?
2: Uh, yeah, very interesting. I mean, uh, if you're in the country and you, you get a letter to say um, you're invited down to training, you jump at it. It's as simple as that. I mean, it, it it's, a, it's a pretty big deal. You understand it's got bigger and bigger and bigger over the years, but it was a big deal then. And my father, I was working in a bank in Locke, which is just near yeah. And my father was working in the state mine offices in Wontaggie, and he came across it. I've got my licence at 19, so i waited for about 12 months. wasn't too confident about coming to Melbourne. So Dad came over and picked me up and took me to training. I suppose um, it, it, I, I went to training. I must have shown some sort of ability. And then they decided to push on and try and get a clearance. And uh, the word was that... the uh, George Harris and they were going down to get my clearance in preparation for the game against Richmond on Easter Monday. And the secretary of the Darleston Footy Club rang Dad and said they're on their way. What What do you think? And I'd already signed. You know, like a, I didn't realise I was a chance to play football. I, I, I was happy to sign a piece of paper to say you know from training uh, I'm happy to play. And then when they were seeking the clearance, that was the only chance we had to to get a couple of bucks. And um, the old man said, well see if you can get a couple of hundred for yourselves and put a couple of hundred in there for the gun bloke. So that was the story. They gave me the clearance and I played on the Easter Monday and I think I got, it was either 200 or 250 bucks. Decimal currency had just come in in February of 1966. Yeah, right. A, but a lot
1: of money back in the day, I imagine, wasn't it?
2: Oh, yeah. Look, it, it pales into insignificance, doesn't it? But um, it was a big deal. I mean, I would have given them 200 bucks to, to be able to pull boots on. You know, that was, that was the way it was. You know, kids, there were number one um, recruits. Uh, look, like a little story. There was a chap, uh, look, like, I hope he, he he's listening to this show. His name was Max Thomas. He was from Terrelgan, and he was the number one recruit for Carlton. And for all this time, I've believed he'd never ever played a game. He, he hurt his leg in a practice match and went back to Terrelgan. But I've since found out that he played. He did play against Richmond the day I made my debut. And I'm not sure whether he played... I missed the second game against St Kilda. I'm not sure whether he did. But they were the only two games that he was involved in and he went back to Tarogan and never played another game. He hurt his leg. You know, he's a bloke that, you know, you should be, we should be all wrapping our arms around these guys. It's easy to to pick the superstars out and they're, they're more popular to listen to and, and speak to and, and get their stories. But, golly, there's a million stories in the Naked City and there's a lot of them about young fellas that were probably good enough but for one reason or another they didn't have the careers that uh, well you know I mean you know mine was good mine was good compared to some of these boys and they all tried and for some reason, they, it just didn't work
1: for them. Yeah, well, when it comes to Carlton, Stephen Oliver's a name that many Blues supporters will bring up um, without notice as well as someone who could have been a star of the game. So you mentioned that debut. It was round one, 1966 against the Tigers. Who you said uh, earlier, were just emerging at the time. You had the 16 disposals. You kick one, goal three. And your relationship with, with uh, Ron Barassi was a good one. And he ended up telling you, to make the wing your own, didn't he? At every ground, you have that wing, and you control that wing. I mean, were there any early versions of his famous "Give me possessions, and I'll shut up"? Robbo, <laughs>
2: that was good, wasn't it? Jared loves that. He, he every time that comes on, uh, I'm sure Jared Healy must. Uh, he must feel like smashing the television. But uh, <laughs> um, anyway, uh, no, not really. Um, look, he. he um, he broke his collarbone against South Melbourne. Eric Sarich ran into him and he gave us a uh, an address at three-quarter time with his arm in a sling. It, look, he was a tremendously determined person. And if you played uh, table tennis in the change rooms, just anything that he tried, anything he had a go at, he'd go out at, at, at training and he'd try and Mark the ball, he'd specifically go to the end where David Mackay was, I'm sure. David Mackay enjoyed me kicking the drop kick so that he could take a run out and mark. And Barassi, I'm sure he went there to try and make sure that Mackay was uh, competed against. David Mackay would have just climbed all over the top of him, but Barass loved that, well, you're not supposed to beat me, so I'll go and beat you. That was his attitude. You tell me that I can't do it, and I'll show you that I can and yeah. from that point of view, you know, I mean, if he if he instilled that into the greater majority of the players on the day, you'd go a long way to winning the game. There's no doubt about it. Because
1: there'd been years of mediocrity at Princess Park, hadn't they, Robbo? But but Barassi getting there had, had given the club and the supporters and the players cause for probably a lot of optimism, didn't
2: he? Oh, well, uh, you know, with, with that... With that attitude that he had, uh, he, there were a few blokes that went by the wayside in the, in the 1966 and 1967. And, you know, like Kenny Green, we lost Maury Sankey. He died in, in a car accident in the summer of, I think, 65 and 66 before I went there. But the blokes that, that battled their way through, you know, Johnny James was there winning a Brownlow in, in the period before I went there. Um, Bluey Collis won a Brownlow in 1964, I think. Uh, th- th- don't don't get me wrong, they're good players, but they Barass knew that if you were going to, you, you needed to be good enough to make the finals, and if you made the finals, you, there was only one place you needed to be able to play well, and that was the MCG. Yeah. And accordingly, he tried to get the uh, uh, the spine. He tried to get the spine right from full back to full forward, but he tried to make sure that the the, the blokes on the flanks were just a fraction taller than. They used to be. I mean, do you remember? Would, people might not might not remember Bruce McMaster Smith, who played for Carlton. I think he could have ridden the top weight in the in in the Walter at Caulfield. He was that he was that tiny, and that was the, the theory of Barras was to get the boys around the flanks a bit taller, like Philip Pennell, You know, he played half back flank in 1970, and he's about six foot two. So blokes that were a bit a bit on the shorter side us, could see we're, we're not going to be part of his plan for winning premierships on the MCG.
1: You would play in three flags, 125 games at Carlton and three premierships. It's not a bad ratio. But tell us about the first one, 1968 against Essendon, because it broke something of a drought, I think uh, dating back to 19. 19- Forty-seven and Big Nick was amazing on on that day. Gary Crane, Brent Croswell, and knew had a good influence as well. What are your memories of that day, Robert? There were one hundred and seventeen thousand people at the MCG.
2: Yeah, well the crowds were bigger because they had standing room. You know they packed them in. You'd get a few bucks from the people and and, and just jam them in. One hundred and twenty thousand, I think, in nineteen seventy will never ever be. Uh, well, won't even get anywhere near it. Yeah, nineteen sixty-eight was Brent. 18, playing in the centre on Johnny Ellis from Essendon, who was a pretty handy player. Uh, Bleffen having a shot. Uh, Jeff Bleffen wearing glasses at full forward, having a shot. And if they'd have kicked the goal, I don't think we would have won. I, I, now, I, I stand to be corrected, but I've done a bit of homework. The only team ever to kick less goals than the opposition and win the win the premiership uh, on that day. There was a team, Essendon blew a game, I think, uh, uh, Eight goals, 27 or something against Carlton in a grand final, but we're the only team, I think, in 68 that won, kicking less goals than the opposition. Brian Kekovic having a shot from left-half forward and tried a check side and it went the other way. Johnny Williams got it and one kick and Essendon were in attack. Jezza, you know, I mean, Jezza was... Uh, gee, we were lucky we had Jezza. I mean, he was a great player. He, he really was a great player. And then later on, we got Dool to combat Royce Hart. I mean, Royce Hart could... Uh, he, he caused us more problems than it was worth, and Dooley came along and, and uh, played against Royce Hart. But going back to '68, it was just we, um, we beat Essen comfortably in the second semi final. They went back and won the preliminary final. I think they might have beaten Geelong, I'm not sure. Then it became just a, a, a really titanic struggle on an awful day. It was a it was a clear day you know no rain but it was windy and it was a pretty hard day to play football and um, in the finish it was us and, and the bombers fell short but uh, it was a it was a great a great day for Carlton 21 years uh, before that 1947 I think it was before they before that uh, that they tasted success and um, you know you don't have to do much uh, celebrating. Uh, Your you, you, euphoria is unbelievable
1: So Carlton 7-14-56 on the day defeated Essendon 8 fifty three September 28, 1968 You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life all thanks to Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives We'll get Ian Robertson's recollections of that incredible 1970 grand final on the other side of this
0: You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives.
1: Great to have your company. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. Uh, you lost the grand final to the Tigers in '69. There was another 119,000 there that day, Ian. What do you remember of the noise that that sort of people generated? And and were you the nervous type? I mean, we don't get those crowds or even close to them these days. What was it like playing in front of that mass of humanity?
2: Oh, uh, look! I think you just eventually get used to it. You know, we were taught uh, or, or encouraged by Barras I mean, he played in. Uh, about six grand finals, didn't he? I think they might have won about five, and uh, they lost in '58. And I think everything else he played in, they won. So he knew all about it. And Norm Smith must have been a great mentor. He was at Melbourne for ages, and in that era, Bluey Adams and are uh, oh, you, you you knock up naming them, Big Bob Johnson and uh, um Apple Web. Uh, look, that, that was an his his experience. Barassi's experience must have been. Um, just incredible for us, you know. All he did was just try and pass on um, little bits and pieces of um, encouragement, information, uh, advice as to how to go about it. And uh, the number one thing was get it and get rid of it and get a touch, you know, get a touch early and and then play a, play the game like uh, as best you can under under as normal circumstances as you can. Don't yeah. the crowd... The crowd affects you, of course it does. You want, you know, like I, I heard about Kyrgios doesn't want to play tennis in front of um, empty stadiums. Well, you know, the crowd does get you going. There's no doubt about that. But uh, look, you're concentrating on many, many things other than listening to, you know. Whether look, I, I'll tell you a little story about playing second year, of playing at, at the MC. I never got a kick, and I went down one end of the ground, and Mike Patterson from Richmond strode out. He was a big lumbering merboon ex Murboon north ruckman back pocket player for richmond he he lumbered out in front of me and took a mark and the bloke in the crowd said you'll be in the seconds next week robertson and uh sammy was right i was in the second next week
1: and just 1970 rob i mean everyone knows the story the pies had beaten you three times that year twice in the home and away and then in a second semi-final they're obviously the raging favourites, and that was before they had you by 44 points at halftime, the Blues completely on the rack. I mean, there couldn't have been a person alive who thought Carlton could win that grand final at halftime. But from your perspective, take us inside the rooms, and did you think you were well and truly cooked?
2: Yes, no doubt. (laughs) Um, But a few things happened, you know, like the first thing that uh, Baras did was, this is to my memory, Bert Thornley had, had played the first half and uh, had struggled a bit and in those days uh, the uh, it was 19th and 20th so if you took a player off the ground he couldn't come back and uh, if you took a player off the ground who was fit uh, it was a bit of a risk and he, he did that he, he decided that Bert Thornley would come from the ground and um, Bert's been fantastic over the years a terrific bloke and uh, he's been terrific for Carlton but he would have been so disappointed and Teddy Hopkins uh, a lot of people forget that uh, in, in, in the uh, in this I think it might have been the second semi he kicked a couple of goals uh, against Collingwood in that game and uh, as I say it was a risk to take bird off and put Teddy Hopkins on the ground um, but uh, you know from then uh, it was it burlas made that decision so their structure was Hopkins on thornley off we're playing with 19 men uh, uh, and that's the second half set up and then his discussion in the rooms was, uh, uh, I vividly remember, he didn't say we were seven goals, two in the arrears. he said we're four goals a quarter. He broke it down and said uh, we have to beat them by four goals in the third quarter and four goals in the fourth quarter. That's This is theoretical, right? So all of a sudden, it, it wasn't a 44 point t- deficit it was a four goal deficit and it was it was only for 20 minutes or 25 minutes whatever the third quarter was going to be but psychologically that was he, he broke it down and made it sound correct to, to us and I'm sure most of the blokes would agree that it then became a, a, a it was quite surmountable and you know at 44 points behind you look at the scoreboard you say you walked out with your backside on the ground so, and, and he made that very important change and, uh, and he also suggested that we try and do handball wherever possible on the ground, which was a bit of a taboo and in the replay, a lot of people will note that Kevin Hall had the ball in the left back pocket and Serge started to loiter and he loitered just over the man on the mark and Hall, handballed it over the man on the mark and Serge got it and just kicked it as far as he could and that was to try and break down the uh, predictability of Hawley kicking it to Tomo, so to speak. So the handball over the top and Serge runs three metres and his kick goes 40 metres and go, it goes over Tomo's head. And that was that was an important part of the play too.
1: And speaking of relationships, Robert, who were the premiership teammates, the guys at, at Carlton in particular, obviously, that you, you stayed maybe particularly close with over the years?
2: Oh... Yeah, I'm sitting here now in this awful time that we're in and it gives you a bit of opportunity. I mean, uh, Greg Kennedy uh, didn't play in 72. He was dropped. Um, I'd love to be able to catch up with him. I've spoken to Shane O'Sullivan and uh, he's tried to get some phone numbers through. Uh, I'm not that au fait with uh, the telephone system but uh, I'd love to catch up with Greg Kennedy he was a, um, um, a carpet layer and he did a bit of work for me in a house that we bought when I first got married in 1973 and um, Brian Walsh he's another one who left Carlton, went to Essendon and then finished up coaching he was a very very uh, well known coach of the juniors for a while, He was at, I think he was a Bendigo and I'm not sure he certainly coached up in the Ovens and Murray League for a while. I'd love to catch up with Walshy. We, we we were going to have a reunion of 1970, which would have been enormous, yeah, 50 years, and and that's been put on the back burner. So, yeah, I'd love to catch up with a lot of blokes, but they're all they're all just similar types to you. They tried to do the best they could, and some of them succeeded. You know, Vinnie Waite's dead. Johnny O'Connell's dead. Uh, Lofty's dead. You, you can't do anything with those three. But certainly the blokes that were there in that period, Barry Gill. I've seen Barry Gill once or twice. He lives in Ballarat. Um, seen him. Uh, saw um, Val Perovic. He wasn't a teammate, but he was a great Carlton Premiership player. I've seen him uh, at, at, a, at a bit of a shindig we had, and uh, oh, you, you do catch up with a, quite a few at the, at the different functions. Mackay has been to the south. He's in charge. He, he runs the show. Gary Crane's always. Uh, He's always quite willing and and able to... I think he loves the time that he had at Carlton, without a doubt.
1: Yeah, there's no doubt we miss that that connection, don't we? That human contact. And sadly, uh, Robbo, there's plenty of time for those Westerns uh, at the moment. Uh, But coming up next, I want to take you, Ian Robertson, back to your life behind the microphone as a renowned commentator. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral, celebrating lives more with Ian Robertson, the Carlton Great, after this.
0: You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives.
1: It's about 30
0: metres around from the Carlton goal. The Bombers
1: defending desperately. The ball comes clear. Buckley, shot for goal by Buckley. The fans love it. It's there! Yes. And he is loving it. You can call me biased if you like, but I uh, can't I'm believe calling that. you, in.
2: And pass away he does. The player providing that was Houghton. In turn Hickmont. In turn two
1: defeaties. In got turn it. it goes back. It's Houghton again. He's caught. He got his kick away. Importantly, gathered by Latham. Got passed. Still got passed. Exciting oh, football by Chaffee Bradley hit by Lappin it's too hot to handle it's too hot to call. it goes to the oh! baller. For... Oh! he's behind hey, the ball he dropped the play thing oh. <laughs> <laughs> he did say dropped the ball well, I have to agree with you <laughs> well, well, unless my eyes are deceiving me there, and a very lucky man with the ball in his hands he no, hit the ground What's what? dropping it here it is bang bang
2: Tried to get it down to Ratton, Ratton in underneath, can't get the ball clear, oh, couch kicked, smothered by Dean again. a short one, Dean's on, it. can he kick a goal? Peter Dean, he's dumped after he kicked the football.
1: Any of us grew up with that voice that voice coming into our living rooms on the weekends when the footy was on ian when did the idea of commentating the game that you played for so long start to form in your mind
2: when i um i, I got a job with the abc thanks to graham dawson as an around the grounds reporter serge greg brown and um uh, Murray considine were all round the grounds reporters and they all gave it away at the same time. So, Stewie McGee, uh, Kevin Codlin, I think it was, and myself all got, came on board. And that was the, the start of the media. And um, about, oh, I suppose I'd been there for about five or six years and um, the opportunity came along to have a crack at calling the football. Graham Dawson used to go to Sydney for the Swans games. And he, the chap said, would you like to have a go? I thought, the old man used to say to us, you know, climb the ladder because he said, if you you take a step, you've got a chance of getting to the top of it. But he said, if you don't take one step, you'll never. So I thought, well, you know, you can only come back down. So I had a go and um, the the chap, look, I wish I could remember his name. He was a fantastic bloke at the ABC and uh, he was good for me. I called the footy and he, we got back to the ABC studios and he was like a coach. He was like Johnny Devine coaching Geelong. It's a famous clip of football where he, he's walking around the outside of the huddle and he's geeing on every individual player. And this was exactly the same. No
1: yeah. phantom call, Robbo. This was just straight into the hot seat for a game. Right no, no, no. Have a go. Have a
2: go and that's it. Have a go and that's it. But Graham Dawson <laughs> was integral. So was Drew Morfitt. So was Tim Lane to a lesser degree, but uh, they're all there and they're all and they're all firmly entrenched in their jobs. But everybody who starts needs a little bit of encouragement. Needs a little bit of a. You know, Drew took us to the footy and with Bernie and I, and we drank a bottle of red at the president's lunch. That's how good Drew Morford was. He, he he brought you all the way back down to if you wanted to relax. Drew could help you relax, and that was the key. You know, you got a bit toey and. Um, Brian hey, was um,
1: a bottle of Plonk before the game.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I, I looked at Bernie. Bernie was the same as me, and and I looked at Bernie. He looked at me, and I said, "Well, oh, what do you reckon?" And we said, "Oh, well, we better help him. He'll be absolutely sheer bliss if uh, if he drinks the <laughs> bottle on his own." So uh, so we helped him, and it was it, it was just how much like. like we might have got into a second bottle, I'm not sure, but uh, we would have had a glass and a half or two glasses each, but it helps us relax, and uh, that was uh, Drew's influence, but Graham Dawson was an enormous influence. Drew rang me, I was working, I had a little news agency in Box Hill, and Drew rang me and said, have you had a phone call? And I said, no, and he said, well, you can expect a call from uh, Channel 7. And uh, Gordon Bennett rang and said, we want you to come in and have a chat, and him and uh, Gary Fenton, Gary Fenton, yep. he was very important in that. He was the boss of the football, and I went in and uh, they said, "Here's what we can offer you." And I said, "The money was um, like I told them how much money was involved at the ABC," and uh, and they said, "We can significantly improve on that." and uh, Away we went from there.
1: You joined Channel 7, Robbo. Now, how difficult was it? This is the million-dollar question. How difficult was it to stay neutral after a playing career where you obviously played in three flags for one club and a club as big as Carlton? I mean, calling Carlton games, was that ever an issue?
2: Yeah, of course, yeah. But uh, I was never held up for it. I was never held accountable for, you know, I've heard people say, oh, you know, uh, what was it, the game where Fraser Brown dragged... uh, uh being down prelim. and yep. a preliminary final. I think I was calling that. I'm not I'm not too absolutely certain. But oh yeah, it, look but I think they took it. I think they took it as as, <laughs> as part of the course. I mean, you know, in the days uh, when when I started uh, Blighty was good. Blighty came on board and he was um I don't think you could say that Blighty ever said anything about positive unnecessarily about North Melbourne or anything about um South Australian, the the Adelaide Crows when they came in, but uh, no, it, it, yeah, of course it was hard because it, it wasn't as if I had played football with any of those blokes. A long time from '74 to '88 or '89, the personnel had changed dramatically. But um, you, 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 I think you basically understood, what, you know, what they were, what they were all going through. You had a little bit of empathy for every one of them, all, all the teams, you know, particularly the ones that were struggling. You know, the ones that were uh, uh, battling their, uh, their their guts out to, to do any good you know i think i had a, a little bit of empathy for them more so than carlton I and mean, Carlton won flags in 87 and uh, and, and 87 was just before us. i started 95 they won a flag um but uh, no i had I, I think i've got a bit of empathy for all of them i i, I think the game's a, a difficult game to play and I, I don't think it's any any easier today they play it quick they play I used to simplify it with people. I'd say, look, what's changed about the size of the ground? Not much. What's changed about how many players you can have on the ground each at any one time? Not much. What's changed in the shape of the ball? Not much. Uh, and then I used to give, give in to the fact that we played outdoors and it's, that made it harder again. Now they play indoors and, and the surfaces that they play on are just about pristine. But it's still, the game is difficult and don't ever think, I said to someone the other day, you want to find out whether they crash into each other, get down close to the boundary line or try and get inside the boundary line and anyone will tell you that they bash each other just as hard, if not harder, because they travel quicker, don't they?
1: No doubt about it. And from a commentary perspective, there were no social media back then, which uh, might not have been a bad thing for your craft, Rob, as it uh, turned out. Hey, the arrival of Friday night footy in the early to mid-90s, I mean, that was when footy really did become... Big business, wasn't it? And we're truly national by then. They must have been exciting times uh, for you to be behind the microphone. I mean, I know Seven lost the rights in what two thousand and one, but that little period were the halcyon days for your commentary career. I would have thought.
2: Oh yeah, no doubt. I mean, Bruce uh, Bruce was the key man, and uh, Friday night football. I mean, it, it, they had to make a decision, I suppose, and I I, I got a, quite a few gigs on the Friday night, and uh, it was usually a Fairly big game, so it wasn't too difficult to get excited. Uh, You know, most of the games were were key games. When you when you delegate the Friday night games to two clubs before the season starts, it's it's a bit hard to work out how good they're going to be. But um, the games were usually pretty good, and um, it it was it was a terrific time to be involved. And you you, like the guy is under the microscope, you know, like. If you make a mistake there, the, the, the viewers are there, aren't they? There's a lot of viewers tuned into Friday night football because it was brand new. It was a it was a uh, a big deal. It was a, like putting a main course on, wasn't it? Putting a new a fantastic main course on the on the table for you.
1: Do you have a view on the coverage of modern day footy, and maybe who among the current crop of callers that you you're impressed by, Ian?
2: Oh, not really. I think everyone uh, does a pretty good job. I mean. Uh, it's, 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 it's an easy job, but it's not an easy job, you know. It's an easy job because uh, you, you take to it. I mean, you know, James Brayshaw, and, um, uh, to a degree, he was a cricketer. Yet he's picked it up beautifully, hasn't he? He, he runs with it. He identifies the player as well. And, uh, you know, Luke Darcy's the same. I mean, you know, Luke Darcy played the game. He understands what the, the, the duress that they're under. Ryan Taylor is the same. The only thing that I that, that I would ever uh, question is, uh, you know, and 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 I know you can sound like a silly old creep, but if you haven't played the game, you 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 understand the game without a doubt. You understand the game, but you don't fully understand it. You don't like. I can always um, recall, uh, you know. You, 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 blokes were going to move one way or the other, and I'm sure the blokes have played uh, today that are commentating. You know this young boy from St Kilda. Um, uh, what's his name? The, remind me of his name. The young boy is uh, trying to make a goal, it now Montagna. Montagna, uh, Mont- Mont- you know, he played. He, he made, Yeah, yeah, he played, and he understands. So give, give him a bit of a go. I mean, he, I'm not quite sure how far he's into it now. A couple of years, perhaps, but. Uh, The blokes that played, you've got to have them because they understand, you know, nobody knows where the ball's going to bounce. I reckon Greg Williams was the best at it of all time. He was the only bloke, him and Sid, that knew where that bloody oval ball was going to go. Well,
1: Ian, thanks so much. It's been an enjoyable walk down memory lane. I mean, you've had an amazing journey in footy and you certainly gave so much of yourself to the game that so many of us love. So thanks for joining us. Yeah,
2: it's all right, Sam. And uh, I hope hope everyone can get back into it uh, you know, I think we're talking on, uh, you know, on, the, on the radio on, uh, uh, privately now, but uh, from the point of view of what we're going through, uh, people want the footy back. There's no doubt that people want to do lots and lots of things, but um, they want the footy back. So hopefully in the next, oh, what will it be? It might be a month or two, but uh, we're all looking forward to that, I'm sure.
1: Oh, there won't be a person that doesn't concur with that. And thanks for your time too. You've been listening to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. We've enjoyed our chat with Ian Robertson. We'll be catching you next week to celebrate the life of another sporting
0: icon. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives.